0: All right, we'll turn to the book of 3rd John. Book of 3rd John near the end of the New Testament. And just a book of 14 verses, a short epistle, nevertheless a very important message and some very important truths for us that God has given to us in his word from the book of 3rd John. This is in our series on Bible characters and we'll we'll look at three bible characters we introduced the first one uh, last week so it's kind of a book study within a study of bible characters so it's kind of a subseries within a series and I've entitled this subseries companions and conflicts we see John's companion Gaius we looked at him in some detail last Wednesday night we saw him as a man who was a faithful member of a church that is not named, most likely in western Turkey, Roman Asia, the the area occupied by the Roman Empire, so Roman Asia. He was a man that John loved greatly. We see in verse number one of the book of 3 John, the elder, that being John, he refers to himself as elder, Again, the possibility that he is using this title because he has to speak authoritatively regarding Diotrephes. But he is identifying himself as the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. So twice in verse 1, he mentions that he loves Gaius, well-beloved and loved in the truth, whom I love in the truth. And then verse 2 again, beloved We go down to verse 5, beloved. Verse 11, beloved again. So we know that John had a deep affection for Gaius. They had a bond in Christ. There is even the possibility that he was a son in the faith. It's a possibility that John led Gaius to the Lord and that he was a, a son in the faith. And that might have been... One of the reasons why they had such a close bond were such kindred spirits. Notice that their love was also bound by the truth, verse number one, in the truth. So we see that their friendship, their relationship was according to the truth. We talked about that a little bit last week, the importance of biblical friendships, friendships that are according to the truth, not just superficial, not just mutual manipulation, not just trying to, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Not a political relationship. I mean, this week, what did we see? We see our president shaking hands with a communist in Vietnam. And what is that relationship all about? They have, We have a mutual enemy. It's about money. Yeah, there you go, right. It's about money. But it's also about trying to somehow... Have leverage against China. So, is that a friendship according to the truth? Is that a treaty based on truth? Not really. It's about money, it's about politics, whatever. But we see with Gaius and with John, it was a relationship of friendship. They had a bond in Christ, possibly Gaius as a son of John in the faith, and they had a bond of love that was bound by the truth or according to the truth, in the truth. Verse 2, we talked about last week. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. This is not a health, wealth, and prosperity proof text. As a matter of fact, John doesn't say to Gaius, if you just had more faith, Gaius, then maybe you would have more health and wealth. He doesn't say that at all, does he? He commends him for his spiritual prosperity. He was spiritually prosperous. He commends him for having a strength of character, of integrity, of faith already. And he says, you may be lacking some in your health. We don't know what the physical ailment may have been. It may have been a chronic ailment. It may may have been age-related. We don't know. Gaius, in some way, had some physical affliction. And he is saying, I wish that you had physical health at the same level that you have spiritual health. He was commended for his spiritual prosperity. He's just simply saying, it would be great if you had physical and financial health at the same level that you have spiritual health and prosperity. And we know that Gaius was a giver. We know further down that he was supporting the church, supporting preachers, missionaries and itinerant preachers, evangelists that would come through. He is commended for his giving. So, John is probably saying if you had greater wealth, it would give you opportunity for greater giving. There's nothing here in this that says anything about a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. There is nothing in here where John is saying, Gaius, if you would just have more faith, if you would just have greater faith, if you would just wait for me to come and lay hands on you, or if you'll just wait for my prayer cloth to make it, to you that you could then touch and pray over and put on your 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 over your head, then you would be healed. There's nothing of that sort at all. John commends him for his spiritual prosperity and he's just simply saying, I wish that your financial situation, apparently it's been very good. He's been very giving, but apparently there's been some sort of setback financially, some sort of setback with his health, and he's just simply saying, I wish that your physical Health And your financial health were as healthy, were as strong as your spiritual health, your spiritual prosperity. But he was commending him for his spiritual prosperity, for his strength and his faith and his walk with the Lord, his integrity and his character. He brought joy to John for his adherence to the truth. And we know this verse very well. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Again, implying that Gaius may have even been a son, of the fa- a son in the faith to John. And then we see some principles uh, for giving that we'll, we'll get to on the next slide. But we see that this comes out of an example of a good giver, a great giver, a sacrificial giver in Gaius. He was supportive of the church in contrast to Diotrephes. We drop down to verses 9 and 10. I wrote unto the church, But Diotrephes, who loveth to have the pre- preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. So this is a, a, a man who Gaius is quite the contrast with. And we'll talk a little bit more about Diotrephes as we have time tonight. But Gaius is in uh, quite uh, the contrast to uh, Diotrephes. In verse number 5, we read, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which are born witness of thy charity. Before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. So we see Gaius, in a sense, leading the way, leading the church in giving, in helping these itinerant preachers, one of which is named further down in verse 12, Demetrius, Hath good report of all men and of the truth itself, yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. So Demetrius was apparently one of these itinerant preachers, evangelists, possibly even the pastor of the church. And John was encouraging Gaius to continue his support of the church, his giving, his faithfulness, and to help Demetrius. So then we put these on the screen briefly last week. And I want to talk about these because Gaius really helps us as an example and helps us with some principles of ministry giving. First of all, we see in verse number seven, a pure motive, a pure motive, because that for his name's sake, we are blessed here at Berean. We have very faithful givers. We are supporting missionaries at the level that many churches three or four or five times our size don't support missionaries at. That's not to brag about in a prideful way. That's uh, praise be to God for the grace and for the level of commitment and for the presence of mind of our leadership and our congregation to give at that level. That is tremendous. When Craig Hartman called me up, and thanked me for the support. He said, You have gone from not being a supporting church to one of our highest supporting churches. And that was a blessing. And all glory be to God for that. But one of the things when I came as a candidate, I looked at what we were doing for our missionaries. And I mean, I was even shocked. But I was encouraged by that and uh, was in tune with our philosophy together as we were going through the, the process. And I, I have had the same kind of uh, desire to be able to maybe not support as many missionaries, but to be able to support maybe fewer, but at a higher level. Because some missionaries, they only get 50, 75, or 100 bucks from a church. They're traveling and they're having to hit 75, 80 churches. And that's really hard in a furlough really hard to get to that many churches. Sometimes they can only get to a third or to, or to a half in one furlough. So to be able to have fewer churches at higher level even helps the missionaries with the number of churches that they have to communicate with, that they have to contact, travel to. So it is a blessing. And I, I know we're going to be evaluating the budget again and seeing if there's a way for us uh, to to give more. Uh, the church has been extremely generous to us in helping Uh, take care of our needs and zero complaints and God continues to provide and we are extremely grateful and thankful and I don't ever want uh, to uh, come up here and act like uh, I'm I'm begging or that the church is not doing enough for us because the church is doing uh, above and beyond and we are extremely thankful for that but we see these principles of giving who do we give as a church we are Giving, not just to anybody and everybody who comes walking along and saying in the name of Jesus. No, we see Gaius giving. We see the church commended for giving. This leader in the church, Gaius, commended for giving. And it's out of a pure motive. Those whom we support are doing the Lord's work. They are preaching the gospel. One of the things that we are doing as a church is we are financially supporting those who are involved in church planting ministries, or they are directly involved in training those who are church planting. So are there places, are there good charities that are digging wells? Yes, there are wells needed. Are there good places around the world, good charities that are providing some other kind of humanitarian service? Sure. And, and those are well and good. And, and maybe uh, you have, in your own personal budget, you have money allocated to some of those charities for those particular needs. But as a local church, we want our support for missionaries who are going out to be, first of all, gospel preaching. Preaching the gospel according to the word of God. Faith alone and Christ alone. And they are showing that that is the focus, the primary emphasis of their ministry is preaching the gospel, but also that they are planting churches and training those who are planting churches, maybe preparing those in indigenous uh, nationals to take over that church, maybe like the Fairchilds who are in a limited access country where they are somewhat limited in what they can do as far as training and, and ministry, but they are training nationals they are evangelizing and they are planting churches but they have to go about it in a in a different way but we are supporting missionaries who are preaching the gospel who are involved in local church ministry and in preparing the the, the nationals for indigenous ministry Uh, they themselves to take over that ministry and to continue that ministry i know a ministry in puerto rico that is now sending missionaries around the world I know that Slavic Baptist mission there in the Ukraine, they have missionaries from their college that are going into other countries. There's other uh, missionary uh, churches who we could probably mention uh, that are doing the same. But we see a gospel cause. We see that it's not about the money. In verse number seven, we see because that for his name's sake, they went forth. That's the gospel cause taking nothing of the Gentiles. It's not that we're going out and trying to do fundraising and raffles. And I mentioned last week about the Catholic Church and running the different festivals. We're not trying to get money from the unsaved to support the gospel work of missionaries. It's the local church's responsibility. We see that principle right here. We see in verse number 7, taking nothing of the Gentiles... We're not trying to go out and to solicit funds from the unsaved to support the ministry of this church and the missionaries that we support and the gospel causes that we uh, support and promote. Now, there are various needs around the church. We, we have a security camera system. We had to do some work on the parking lot. We, we, you know, we did some work in here with the pews and the carpet. There are various needs that we have to do. If we have, we had a, 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 a crew in here this week. Uh, to put in a ceiling fan in the kitchen um, and all the ladies in the church say <laughs> and anybody the men and the men's breakfast uh, there's a ceiling fan in the a working ceiling fan in the kitchen that was installed on monday to provide a little air circulation and not quite be so warm in the, in the kitchen well that is a part of the ministry here that's not wasted money. It's important. We want those working in the kitchen to be happy, right? We want them to be able to work well so that they can provide good food, to be able to be able to be a blessing to our church family, to visitors, and, and, and those whom we serve. Uh, we need audio and visual, audio-visual equipment. I know sometimes that gets expensive and it gets complicated, but we are thankful for that. Uh, I get statistics every every month of how the Lord is using sermon audio and I know there are people streaming online right now, and they kind of depend on that. Some people do. And uh, it's reaching people that we may never know until we get to heaven. Um, Plus, we want to be able to hear each other. We want to be able to communicate well. There are all kinds of supportive ways in which the money goes to promote the ministry and the gospel and to support missionaries. And we can go on and on with the examples. But we see that it's not from the unsaved. We're not soliciting funds from the unsaved. It's God's people burdened for God's work, and they are giving to the furtherance of the gospel and to the furtherance of God's kingdom. And then I love verse number eight. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Isn't that incredible? John is saying that through the ministry of Gaius, those missionaries, those itinerant preachers, those evangelists that come through, we share in their ministry. We share in the blessing of their ministry, and God is so good to enable us to share in the reward of their ministry. There are people that the Fairchilds, that Shalom Ministries, that Dr. Kim, the Flinks, and all the missionaries that we support... There are people that we're going to meet in heaven who were reached with the gospel as a direct result of missionaries that we supported who went and shared the gospel and took the gospel to those places. We are fellow helpers with them. That's a humbling thing because we are overwhelmed sometimes because we want to go. We can't go. We would like to go. We would like to do more. We would like to take on more missionaries. We'd like to give at higher levels, but we're not able to for whatever reason, or God hasn't called us. That's not where God has put us, but we are burdened when they come and they shared their ministry and we're going to bring missionaries in on a regular basis. I'm already scheduling for next year and we're going to be looking at maybe taking on another missionary in the new budget year. We are giving and, and And by doing that, and even by helping them while they're here, doing some babysitting, helping out with a meal, supporting their their ministry, sometimes it's doing mechanics on a on a vehicle that uh, needs needs help, putting gas in their car as they travel, giving them a hotel to stay in. sometimes for a missionary, just staying at a ho- hotel is a luxury uh, because of all of the all the travel and uh, especially when they have little kids and they're having to pack up pack and plays and backpacks and and just being a, a blessing in so many different ways. We are fellow helpers with them. I'm thankful for good mission agencies that help us be able to bring accountability in a good way, in the right way, because there's no way that we could keep track of all their finances all of their travel logistics all their retirement funds all their emergency funds many mission agencies have retirement funds and emergency funds because what happens if there is a mutiny in one of these countries we've seen it in the news haven't we even recently what happens if there's missionaries who get trapped in a place where there's a mutiny and there's a military takeover and they need to get out There's emergency funds that are there. Many times the mission agencies have those set up. There was a missionary over in, I forget the country now, over in Africa, and they were driving into town, and there was a civil war that was beginning to break out. There were some militias, and there was some crossfire, and the missionaries were driving into town, and that crossfire killed one of the missionaries. One missionary was driving, the other missionary was in the the passenger seat, and the family is the the West Coast, and they're they're from up in northern Indiana. I think the dad, is a is a or brother is a pastor up in northern Indiana, and I forget the name of the 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 son, the brother, uh, Westco that was was killed, in that crossfire, and the Sinclair's had to take emergency funds. They had to pack up and they had to, I mean, they had to bring the body. They had to bring, uh, family. I mean, it was a huge, huge ordeal. And there were funds that were set aside for such a situation. Plus there was additional giving. Incredible sacrifice. And they need our help. And there's good principles that we try to follow with the Lord's help, that they are gospel preaching, that they're going forth with a pure motive, not out of covetousness, not from money, not soliciting funds from the unsaved. And then as we support them, we are fellow helpers in the ministry and experience the blessing and, and there's reward in heaven in doing so. So with the few minutes that we have left, we'll just have a few minutes to be able to touch on diatrophies. I hope that this is visible. I don't know how well that white blends in there with the background. Uh, hopefully it stands out enough that it's readable. But notice diatrophies. All these good things that are going on. All of this support for these For this church, for these missionaries, these evangelists, itinerant preachers. And look what there is. Verse number 9. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. So we see, first of all, that he was a man who loved power. He wanted to be the preeminent one. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean that he was... A deacon or an elder? We're not sure. Was he a part of a prominent or wealthy family in the church? We're not sure. But we see sometimes when churches have a diatrophies. Sometimes it is a deacon. Sometimes it's a pastoral staff member. Sometimes it's a wealthy member of the church. I've heard horror stories of men in the ministry and they are dealing with a very wealthy family in the church. And because of their money, they push the pastor and the deacons and the ministry around, if you know what I mean. And they threaten, well, I give so much money to the church. And don't you know, if I leave this church, you're not going to be able to pay your bill. And they use that for leverage, and they use that for influence, and to try to get their way. Was Diatrophes that kind of a man? Was he a wealthy man with that kind of influence? We don't know. You know how it is sometimes in churches? It's, well, my... Granddaddy was the pastor of this church, or my great great granddaddy, and, and I donated that, you know, and I gave to this, and that has my name on it. And uh, you know how it is sometimes with ministries. And maybe Diotrephes was a guy who had family in the church, and he had rooms named after his aunt or his uncle or his granddad, or, you know, and, and he wants to, to use that for leverage. Whatever the case is, Diotrephes wanted to have the preeminence. Who's the Lord of the church? Jesus Christ. This is not my church. Berean Baptist Church belongs to the Lord. It's not my church. It's not any of the deacon's church. It's not any of the families. It's the Lord's work. And there was a church up just a little north of here in Chicago that I know of where the pastor got run out of town. And there was a deacon who had a lot of influence. And he came up with a plan to get his confederates, and they ran that man out of the church. Now, I don't know, I'm not God, and I don't know if this was truly the judgment of the Lord, but it wasn't but a few weeks later that deacon dropped dead. And he had been leading a mutiny against that pastor. It was totally wrong in how it was how it was dealt with. How sad. There was a diatrophies in that church. Now, we know that there are sometimes church splits, sometimes there's other things that happened, but Diotrephes, he wanted the preeminence. He wanted the power. And he was even keeping, it says, verse number nine, from them receiving, apparently John, receiveth us not. He even thought he was so big and so powerful that he could even resist an apostle of the Lord in his ministry. We know that he was influencing Demetrius and maybe some other itinerant preachers from what we understand, but he loved to have the preeminence. He would not receive the brethren. And we also see in verse 10, wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words. He was a malicious gossip. We know how it is with sometimes news and shoes. Sometimes the rumor, the lie, the false, or the half-truth, I've said it, I think, before Before the truth can even get its shoes tied, there's some error, some rumor, some false or half-truth that has already been around the world and back, or <laughs> spreads like wildfire, right? Before the truth can even get its running shoes on or tie its shoes on. We know how gossip is. And we know how sometimes gossip turns into a group of confederates, and then you know how gossip gets twisted and turned, and it, it's like a snowball that goes down, going down the side of the the hill, and what does the snowball do is it goes down the hillside, picks up more and more and more, and then it begins even to pick up the twigs and the branches and the trash and the dirt and all kinds of other stuff, right? And Before long, it crashes down at the bottom. It's an avalanche, and there's damage when things could have been taken care of. Following a Matthew 18, a Galatians 5 principle, and instead, or a Galatians 6 principle, and instead it turns into damage, church splits, brethren who are hurt, men who never come back into the ministry, on and on it goes. He was a malicious gossip. He was saying maybe even some nasty things about John. I'm not sure. John wants to come, verse number 10, Wherefore if I come, I will remember his deeds, down in verse 13, Or verse 14, but I trust I shall shortly see thee. So John may have been making plans to have to deal with Diotrephes. Gaius is there, possibly also having to confront Diotrephes. Obviously working in contradiction to to Diotrephes. Gaius doing the Lord's work and supporting the Lord's work. But we see also there in verses 9 and 10 that he was putting people out of the church. Doth he... So neither doth he himself receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of the church. We'll have to close here, but I just happen to, to, to wonder, my imagination maybe goes a little bit. What was Diotrephes doing to cast people out of the church? Was he leading some sort of church discipline effort? Was he strong arming the leadership in the church? Was he standing at the door? Saying, you, you can come in, you can't come in. I don't know, how was he putting people out of the church? But he, he was in the wrong place. He was refusing to accept that Jesus Christ is the Lord of his church. And when we don't go about the church business God's way, we actually will breed the consequences We will sow seeds that will reap a fruit that will be God's judgment. If we are not going about God's business, this is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. If I am up here trying to be the fourth person of the Trinity, if I'm trying to be the Holy Spirit in all of your hearts and lives, and I'm ruling like a dictator and trying to control everything that you do, I've got a problem with trying to be the preeminent one. I have forgotten that this is the Lord's church. If there's a family or if there's a deacon or if there's a group of people who don't go about dealing with maybe a problem, a specific need, an error, a false teaching or something, and they go about it the wrong way, they then will also suffer at the hand of the Lord. And he will deal with them in his way. Maybe not like that deacon up there in Chicago, but when we... Don't go about God's business if we don't serve and love and obey in the church like we should, and if there's a diatrophes, there is some serious consequences. God does not look at a diatrophies lightly. And John was gonna have to deal with them, maybe Gaius ahead of time. We don't know where it all ended up, we don't know where diatrophes is at today. Uh, we don't know how he was dealt with specifically, but we know that there are principles here for giving, for living uh, God's will in the church, and for even how to deal with uh, diatrophies. And uh, I'm not saying there's a diatrophies at work here. That's not at all what I'm saying. I am not trying to uh, deal with anything that's uh, diatrophies-related in our church. I'm thankful for that. But when there's a diatrophies that's identified, we need to deal with that, that person or those people in the right way, in a biblical way. And may the Lord give us uh, his spirit, and may we always see Jesus as the Lord of this church and uh, follow his will and obey him and uh, live out faithfully the principles, the commands, and the promises of God's word uh, as he would have us do so as the church, as a local assembly, as the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our church. Thank you, Lord, for our church family. Lord, thank you for these principles of giving, for the examples of Gaius and Demetrius, and even, Lord, the bad example of diatrophies, Lord, that we can learn from and how to deal with them. And, Lord, help us to have a spirit of love for one another, of love, first of all, for you, a spirit of submission and obedience to you and to your word. And, Lord, as challenges come in the ministry and the church, Lord, help us to go about dealing with them in a way that brings honor and glory to you, uh, that, Lord, does not uh, cause us to be lifted up in pride or to think that we can uh, do something, Lord, that would be above uh, your lordship and your leadership in the church. Help us to always be submissive to you and to your will, uh, even in the, uh, the church and in our relationship with others. We pray, Lord, for uh, your guidance and direction in our lives now as we finish out this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here. Have a great rest of the week. We look forward to being back together on Sunday.